Well, good morning. Everybody doing okay? It's awfully, like almost way too quiet in here. Our text this morning is John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. And of course, we're talking about no greater love. Now, we mentioned at the beginning of service about the sacrifices of so many men and women who died. Now, Memorial Day is different than Veterans Day because Memorial Day is to remember those who died in battle. As I thought about that, you look at all the wars that this country has been in, I've lived a lot longer and had so many more opportunities than them young boys who died on the field that day. And I am very much aware this morning that I stand here in this pulpit, that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants who have blazed the trail before me, men and women of faith, people who serve in the military. I mean, the list goes on and on. I inherited a great freedom that was handed to me. What a great freedom it is. I enjoyed unparalleled freedom because of the commitment and dedication of so many. Memorial Day should remind us all that freedom is not free. In fact, every Sunday should remind us that freedom is not free. Because as we ponder upon the sacrifices of so many, there is one who paid the supreme sacrifice. Jesus Christ secured our freedom from the bondage of sin. John 18.36 So the Son makes you free. You will be free indeed. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, how can you think about Memorial Day without thinking of Christ? Who willingly laid His life down for you? Why? Should you have forgiveness of sin? And the consequence of sin, which is death. That you could be a son or daughter of God. Part of the family. You're part of royalty now. You become one of His. Notice in verse 14 of our text, Jesus calls His disciples friends. How would you define that term friend. We have all types of friends on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, but how would you define that term? Years ago, a British publication offered a prize to someone to come up with a great definition of that term. Here's a few of them. One wrote, one who multiplies joy and divides grief. That is a friend. One who is honest, and their honesty is unbreakable. 
or one who understands our silence. I like this one. A watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. Now the winning definition is this. A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Isn't that a definition of a true friend? Someone that has your back. That whenever else runs out, they're right there. And aren't you glad that we serve a Savior? No matter how much you mess up, you run to Him, genuine repentance and confession, and He forgives you. He never turns His back on you. Constantly reaching out to you. Aren't you glad that His mercies are new every morning? That said, I must warn you that there is a day coming where that all will come to a screaming halt. The day of His second coming. Which none of us in this room know exactly when that is. It could happen in the next five minutes, next week, or next year. We always must be ready. There's an Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. And it's quoted in Hebrews 13.5, which is a great faith chapter in Hebrews. It says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. We need to hear that as people of God this morning. Do not be afraid, dearly beloved. He is with us every step of the way. He will not fail us and He will never forsake us. And he says in verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. We are commanded to love and we are commissioned to serve. We Our task that we've been given is to serve. James chapter 1, verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You know, this taking care of widows and orphans. I submit to you today, if the churches were taking care of that, not the United States government with the welfare system, things might be a little different around here. We are to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. That, that is us. That's our job. But let's get back to our text. Let's start reading in John chapter 12, verse 15. Notice in verse 12 and then in the last verse, it ends with the same thing about loving one another. Starting verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you or ordained you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. 
It seems to me it's repeated all over Scripture, but especially in this text, he says it twice, the beginning and the end. That's very important for us to remember that we are to love. Look at this. This is my commandment. Love one another. And then he defines that love just as I have loved you. So how has Jesus loved us? How has he demonstrated his love to you and to me in the entire world? Well, that can be found, the answer to that, in verses 13 through 15. Simply put, if you love him, you are willing to put everything on the line. Nothing is held back. You give it all over to him. But if you're like me, there's things that we like to keep on to and think we have control over. Those are the areas where God convicts me of. And if you're having a conviction or you're having problems, that's an area you need to let go of and give it over to him. You must be willing to go wherever, do whatever, and speak to him ever. Because if you truly love him, you're going to do what he commands you. We must be willing to serve and willing to love others as he loves us. First John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. In other words, just don't speak about it. Put your words into action. Demonstrate that love. He held nothing back, did he? He laid it all on the line. I've said this before, but think about heaven for a second. Familiar with Revelation, the way John describes the streets paved with gold and the beauty of it all. Jesus willingly stepped out of heaven took on human flesh. So he humbled himself. He stepped off the throne and became a man, a human being. He was a God man. He was still God, but he took on human flesh. So he humbled himself, but he humbled himself again by taking on being a servant. And of course, he humbled himself again by dying a death. Not only just a death, but death on a cross. No longer do I call you slaves. A slave does not know what his master is doing. See, there's no secrets in friendship. There's no hidden agendas. There's no surprises. Why should we be surprised at the persecution happening around the world and now becoming more intense in the United States? Jesus told us it was going to be that way, did he not? If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He told us that we're going to follow Him. We must take up our cross daily and follow after Him. That's dying to self. It's not easy. There's no uh, pinky finger promise required. Because all the things that He has heard from the Father, He tells us, He has made known to you. Why is this commandment so important? I already said this. Because your actions speak louder than words. Your actions speak louder than words. Look at verse 14 again. You are my friends if you do what I command you. There was a lawyer back in those days who was looking to justify himself. And he comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 and asks Jesus, what is the 
greatest commandment? What is, the, what is the number one commandment? And this is what Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, the lawyer trying to justify himself immediately fires back, well, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you're familiar with Israel and its history, when the kingdom divided and was conquered, they were scattered everywhere. And some of the married people of the land where they were, you got Samaria, you got Samaritans. And they didn't like to each other very much. The Jews are Samaritans. So when Jesus says that good Samaritan story, he talks about a priest, he talks about a Levite, then a Samaritan. It's like the oxygen getting sucked out of a room. <gasps> a Samaritan. Don't need the Samaritan stop, but he bandages the guys up, takes them to the end, tells the guy anything else he owes, I'll sell the account. The best way I can describe the force of which that thing was heard by the first century audience, the original audience, would be like me going to a KK rally and telling those guys, the guy you're making fun of and calling the N-word over here, that is your neighbor. Basically, for us as believers, everyone is our neighbor. So we need to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor. As yourself. Jesus said all commandments can be summed up in that. We call ourselves Christians, disciples, believers, born again, evangelicals. But how do our actions define us? Because in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus tells us, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's hard loving people, isn't it? Am I the only one that has trouble loving people? Sometimes it's hard within your immediate family, people you get along with. Even in this room, it's probably easier to love because we have common beliefs. We are like-minded people of faith. But when you get out there and someone calls you names and causes all sorts of heartache and frustration, Love those who persecute you, Jesus says. Look what he says next in our text. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed or ordained you. You had absolutely, I had absolutely nothing to do with the selection process. I didn't choose Jesus, rather he chose me. He initiated the relationship when he died on that cross. He initiated the, that relationship with me when he brought people into my life who were believers speaking truth into my life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I could care less about the things of God, I told my wife I would never step in church again. Now look at me. He was reaching out to me when I was still shaking my fist in his face. And of course, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You know, you ever think of this? If I 
did nothing to earn God's love, then why do I think I'll ever lose it? And there's times that I struggle with that. God loves you. God likes you. He created you the way you are. He created you with certain personality, skills, talents, so that you could help build His kingdom. Why did He choose it and point us? It says right there that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain spiritual fruit. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Living in the will of God, there's no place better to be. But sometimes I feel we have it backwards. We only want to do it when it's convenient for us. See, the commandment and the commission are not independent of each other. We can't ignore or discard, overlook, or neglect either one. It has to be both. In order to serve, you have to love. In order to love, you need to serve. They go hand in hand. We cannot say that we love God and stand idle watching our mother, our fathers, sisters, brothers, sons, daughters, neighbors, co-workers live and die and go to hell just because we refuse to love them enough to tell them about our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that's the preacher's job. Perhaps you're the only Jesus that person will ever see. Perhaps it's a divine appointment. God's put you in that place so you can speak truth into their life. And oh, true, that you may not see fruit of that in this life. Who's to say on eternity that person may come up to you and say, thank you for sharing the truth. There is a song out, been out for a while by Casting Crowns. Just listen to the words called Love You With The Truth. For the longest time, I believed the lie that I'm not a strong enough believer to be the friend that take you take your hand and lead you straight to Jesus. I'm waiting on the preachers, the singers, and the teachers to string the perfect words together. But every single time I have to say goodbye, I wonder, will this be the last time? I can't call myself your friend and walk away. When we love, we earn the right to speak the truth. When we speak truth, we show the world we truly love. I'm not pointing my finger. I'm holding out my hand. I lay it all in line now. See, God, save my friend. Let my life and my words be the proof. I'm going to love you with the truth. Yes, God is love, but God is just. We are separated in our darkness. So God let Him who knew no sin to become sin to make us right with Him. It's not about religion or earning God's forgiveness with magic prayers or new behavior. It's all about your heart. He'll meet you where you are. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ as Lord. Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way. I'm going to love you with the truth. How many of us have had encounters with friends, 
co-workers, family members. And the truth of the matter is that they point out that might be the last time. The last time to share with them. This commandment and commission is not limited to a certain group of people. Gender, education, social, economic standing, or race does not matter. Your age, experience, background does not matter. If we ignore the commandment to love and the commission to serve, it is a sin. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him or her, it is a sin. And as we stand now, as we going to gather around the Lord's table, we must examine ourselves and think about who Christ is, who we are in relation to Him. So bear with me. It's going to be a little different. First, let me ask these questions. Do you love Christ enough to get involved here with this local body of believers? In many faces I'm looking at, you are involved. But are you ready to take that next step? Go even deeper. Do you love Him enough to get involved in Bible study, Sunday school, small groups? Do you love Him enough to get involved in outreach? And I may add, inreach. Inreach is when you reach into other people in the congregation. See how they're doing. Do you love Him enough to tell other people why you attend here and invite them to come with you? Turn to the person next to you and say this, regardless how I may feel about you and how you feel about me, Regardless of how I may treat you and how you treat me, I'm going to love you as Christ does. Dear beloved, I've seen that love here. I've seen it demonstrated time and time again. But we can't stop. We've got to keep building upon it. And as we continue to love each other as Christ does and continue to serve in that area, God will continue to move and to bless. Is it going to be easy? Uh, no. It's going to be rough, maybe difficult at times. But the rewards are out of this world, no pun intended. If you love Him enough, you ought to be willing to serve and tell somebody that the love of Jesus is stronger than any pain they may experience. The love of Jesus is stronger than any failure that you have experienced. The love of Jesus is stronger than any problem you may be going through at this moment. You ought to be willing to understand that you and I are ordained by God to do the work. We're ordained by God for the work. We're supposed to be laborers producing fruit not idlers who are eating and taking advantage of fruit that are produced by other believers and not destroy that fruit with lies and gossip and bite-biting. We have been given a great opportunity and privilege and honor to be friends of God. Think about that. We must obey the command to love and the commission to serve. 
do the definitions of a friend describe you? We are called to be family. And once again, as we have this time of invitation to respond, to reflect, take this opportunity now. Maybe go across and tell somebody that you love them. Tell somebody, I'm going to love you as Christ does. Jesus Christ loves you so much that He willingly laid His life down on an old wooden rough cross. And as the old hymn says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's what it comes down to. Take this time to respond. Take this time to reflect and examine your own heart. We have been so blessed in so many ways. We've been forgiven, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. But only that, God's allowed us to live in my opinion, one of the greatest countries in the world who have experienced unparalleled freedom. Do you realize right now people are meeting in secret because people come in and haul them off to jail or kill them on the spot? And look at us. We're sitting in a nice air-conditioned room, padded seats, lights. We all got here by car, didn't have to walk. I'm not going to pick on nobody. I haven't missed a meal. We all look decent. We have clean clothes. Look, everybody's taking a shower. This one, I mean, look at all the blessings we have. This is convicting me right now. How much more does God have to do before we get up and say, this is enough? We, we have to rise up as a people of God. Remember. Remember what Christ has done. I'll end with this, not only as you look back to what Christ has done, look at all the prophecy, all the promises before He came in the flesh. Look what's yet to be done. So we look back what He's done and have fulfilled every single prophecy in the Old Testament of the Messiah. We can look forward with great confidence and anticipation that one day this was going to be over. It ain't going to matter anymore. So right now, let your mind go back to that garden of Gethsemane. Can you see them? Picture them in your mind. Under great distress, sweating drops of blood. By the way, they know that's a real physical condition that can happen to somebody. Sweating is all the duress and stress he was feeling feeling the weight of the cross before Him, salvation, what was going to, all the, I can't imagine what all He went through. And He asked the Father, and at one point, I'm paraphrasing, if there's any other way to do this, Father, let this cup, let this go away. Do, please, is there anyone else? We can do it. But, not my will, but Your will be done.
He rose and headed right for that cross. Why? Because he loved Larry. He loved them. He loved Steve. He loved Audie. He loved Patsy. He loved Charlie. He loves Alexis. He loves Greg. He loves Teresa. And go around with him. I'm not forgetting names. I won't name everybody, but you get the picture. If we love him, we will do what he commands us to do. Heavenly Father, uh, the words thank you don't seem to be big enough in this moment. As we ponder and reflect upon the sacrifice of your son, there's Words fail at certain points while they describe the sacrifice, the love, the commitment. Father, we want to be a people that are known by our love. The love that we have for you and the love we have for each other. Father, continue to let your Holy Spirit move in this place. As we come to your table this morning to remember that night in the upper room so many years ago. To remember what happened. May we never forget it. May it always be there in our minds and in our hearts. This is all about you, dear God. Continue to move. Continue to speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?
as we gather around the table. If you're physically able, could you just kind of gather into the middle like a family? I'm all getting people out of the comfort zone a little bit. But does everybody have a... Does anyone need one? Do I have one? You look so happy in your family together as we gather around the table this morning. Can you imagine being there that night celebrating the Passover? And Jesus turns to them, tells them what's going to happen. You know what Peter said? Lord, I'll follow you all the way even if it means my own life. And then Jesus looks at them and tells them, Amen, Peter, but I tell you, before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. I wonder, I wonder how Peter felt in that moment. And then later, he did the very thing. He made eye contact with Jesus, and he went out and wept bitterly. But that's not the end of the story, though, is it? After Jesus is raised from the dead, Peter goes out and thinks Jesus is dead, it's over, he's going out fishing, all right? Now, it's interesting to note that when he's in the courtyard that night, there was a fire going, a charcoal fire who was in the courtyard. So after the crucifixion and before uh, Jesus, he was ascended, I mean, before he ascended to heaven, he rose from the dead. And Peter's out there fishing, he looks and goes, oh, there's, there's the Lord. I don't know who that is. And he rushes over there and he jumps out of the boat and runs up to Jesus and the text tells us Jesus had a charcoal fire going. He was cooking breakfast. I don't know if he commanded the fish to jump out of the water or how he did it. But put yourself in Peter's shoes. As he smelled that fire, did all those memories come rushing back to that night? And he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Says it a third time. My point bring that story up. You have Peter at his greatest weakness. The Lord turns it, commisses him, and Peter becomes one of the early, well, one of the perils of the early church. What a great story. It's amazing what Jesus can do when we give our heart to him. They were taking the Passover and he took some bread and he blessed it, gave thanks. He said, 
This is my body. Eat and do it in remembrance of me, he said. Shortly thereafter, he took the cup. This is my blood of the new covenant. Shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is not real blood. It's grape juice. But it represents the precious blood of Christ that cleanses me of my sin cleanses you of your sin. Salvation. He said, drink of it and remember him. First Corinthians, it says, as, as much as we partake of the bread and drink of the cup, we proclaim him until he comes again. So although we look back and see all the terrible suffering and shame, that's not the end of the story. Resurrection, that's not the end of the story. He sent it to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, but that's not the end of the story. He is coming again. And that is great news for us today. Every pain, every tear, he said he will wipe the tears away from your eyes. There will be no more death, no more goodbyes. Sin will be totally eradicated, completely gone. No more gossip. No more backbiting. We will have fellowship with our God completely uninterrupted. Complete in harmony with Him and with each other. What does that look like? I have no idea. I look forward to it. So now, what are you facing right now? As a church or as individuals? We can look forward ahead of us with full anticipation and confidence about what awaits. He may come back tonight. I don't know. And I'm torn between the two, like Paul would say. I'm ready. You know, if he came tonight, wouldn't hurt me none. It's kind of arrogant to say that, though, wouldn't it? Because the reason he hasn't come, he's wanting on that one more person. And that one more person may be in your sphere of influence. You have what the world desperately needs. The answer 
the meaning of life. What's it all about? You found it. You found it in the person of Jesus Christ. Go out and tell them. And I'll do the same thing. Keep on until He comes again. He will never leave us. He won't forsake us. We're going on a, a positive note. I want you to stand up. This is a hymn that you're very familiar with. Sing it with conviction. Sing it with passion. Remember, you're not trying to impress the person next to you. Singing praises to Him. There's power in the blood, I believe, is the tune. Amen, amen. Let's Lead us away, brother. Let's celebrate. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passionate pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be wider, much wider than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, Wonder working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We celebrate the power in the blood, what you've done for us, Father, through your Son. And we go forth in the power in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. God is dismissed. Unless you want to hang out and talk to each other.